Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. We talk with musicians about music making and the creative process. My name is Mike, and our guest this time is Blair Howerton, songwriter, guitarist, and vocalist with the band Why Bonnie. We discuss the band's excellent recent record called 90 in November. I talk with Blair about genre, about the styles of music she has written in. I find it interesting to hear Blair discuss her creative path, that where she previously may have wandered around in various styles, more recently she's tried to be more intentional about the types of songs she writes. Near the end of the conversation, the term shoegazicana comes up. This is the word the band has adopted to describe the kind of music they've been making. I did a little research and I couldn't find the original review of their music, Blair references, that she thinks may have coined the term. I wanted to give some credit. But it is both an amusing and fairly accurate description of this record. For those not familiar, shoegaze was a term originally referring to some early 90s British bands known for fuzzy, layered guitars, feedback, sometimes buried vocals. These bands had guitarists who were known for standing stock still, just staring at the ground, either at their many effects pedals or maybe just chilling in concentration. So the term shoegazicana would merge this sound, this fuzzy, layered guitar sound, with the country twang of the more recent Americana genre. And the more I think about it, I realize this merging of somewhat disparate vibes is probably what caught my ear in the first place when I heard Why Bonnie's music. So check out this record, 90 in November, and be the first on your block to throw around the hip term shoegazicana. You're welcome. A couple of quick items to read about other hip music stuff like shoegazicana and other not hip music stuff. Subscribe to my email newsletter called Hey, How's It Going? The Newsletter. It comes out monthly, is still somehow free of charge, and it's filled with my theories and recommendations that will change your life. Hopefully for the better, hard to say for sure at this point. It's an easy sign up at tellyouwhatpodcast.com or drop me an email at tellyouwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And a quick shout out to Lauren Calfion at Votive Music for putting this interview together. Much appreciated. And now, please enjoy this Tell You What discussion with Why Bonnie's Blair Howerton. Okay, Blair Howerton, welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're coming to us from your, your uh, home in the, in the New York City area, is that correct? Yep, I'm in my bedroom in Ridgewood, Queens right now. All right. So the Why Bonnie record, 90 in November, came out last year. You wrote these songs, I think a lot of them in the pandemic, in lockdown in New York all by yourself to a certain extent. Now that you've gotten out there and played them live and these songs are out in the world, how does it feel to have these songs shared with the world? Does your relationship to the songs change in any way, do you think? Yeah, it's always a bit, not unnerving, but a little anxiety-inducing to almost let go of these songs that you've held so closely to your chest for so long and letting them out into the world and having people 
respond to them in their own ways. Um, it's exciting. It's nerve wracking. You want people to have a relationship with them and to respond with their own, their own experiences. And that's been really interesting with songs on 90 in November because most of the songs are about my childhood and growing up in Texas and old family dynamics and past lovers. And so it's been, it was a very personal songwriting process. And to hear, like, to hear about other people's reaction to those songs and how they relate it to their individual experiences has been really cool and has definitely shifted the way I view the songs. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, normally you would have that experience, but it was even more uh, exaggerated this time because the way these songs were written during that time period and what they were about. Right. And you weren't out there playing any of them. Right. Yeah, we had not even played the songs together as a band until three days before we got into the studio. So we had three days of practice and then we jumped right in. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. We're going to get back to those songs and the album uh, a bit later. For now, let's back up a bit, talk about your background. Can you talk about um, early musical memories, any influences from your early years, maybe music from your home or community that perhaps makes its way into what you're creating now? Yeah. Growing up in Texas, I obviously had a country influence. And I remember one of the first songs I ever wrote. Um, It was a silly song. I was like nine years old. But I remember wanting to write a song that sounded like the Dixie Chicks. Okay. Formerly known as the Dixie Chicks, now known as the Chicks. They were a huge influence for me as a kid. They just kind of epitomized my childhood in Texas. Yeah. So definitely early influence from them. Also Cheryl Crow, growing up in the 90s, she was the queen. And my mom was a diehard Cheryl Crow fan, so. Do you come from a musical family? You know... No, none of my family members play any instruments or sing, but they are music lovers. So listening to music and appreciating music was a big part of my childhood. Um, My mom used to like quiz me on different albums and bands and stuff like that. Um, Like name that tune? Yeah, definitely. Like name that tune. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think they just never really got the, got the bug. Yeah. But you got it somehow. Were you, am I right that you were a theater kid, musical theater? Yeah. So I started doing musicals when I was like five, I'm pretty sure. I was really young. That's pretty young. Somebody recognized that interest in you. I think I was a pretty vocal child as far as my interests, and I really loved to sing. 
like singing has always been my favorite thing in the world. It brings me a lot of joy. And I knew that as a really young kid. And so I just gravitated towards any activity that would let me sing. So I did theater. I did choir. Yeah. So I started theater when I was about five or six and did it all through high school. Did you consider pursuing it in college? I did, but I think I kind of fell out of love with it. As I grew up, I started to realize that it wasn't really theater itself that I loved as much as it was performing and singing. And once I started to actually write my own songs and be more serious about that, I found exactly what I had been looking for all those years. And that was Hmm. to sing my own songs and to use my own voice. Well, I was going to say, you mentioned the Dixie Chicksie song when you were nine. Was that, were you writing songs from that early age or, or when did you really feel like you were becoming a songwriter? Yeah, I wrote my first song when I was nine and then kept doing it and it was all very Dixie Chicks-esque. Yeah. Um, you know. Now, are you playing the guitar at this point or just writing off singing and from age nine to 11, I would actually write songs without the guitar, and then my brother would write guitar to them. Okay. Um, and then when I turned 12, I picked up the guitar myself and just taught myself chords from the internet. Yeah. And throughout high school and into college, it was more of like a therapeutic thing for me. I don't know why I never really, I didn't pursue it maybe out of like anxiety or low self-esteem. I just didn't think that I could like drop everything and move to LA or whatever. Um, Right. But I knew it was something I loved. Um, Were you playing these songs for other people when you were in high school? No. No, not like really. no one else? Or? <laughs> uh, I would share them with my, like, my mom has always been a big fan of mine, obviously, as moms are. So I would share them with yeah. my mom. Um, and, like, Kendall, my current bandmate, she's been my best friend since I was two. We, like, have known each other forever. And I would share them with her, and we would even collaborate a little bit in high school, too. She could play the guitar and piano and... But for the most part, it was a very intimate, like, I would sheepishly walk up to my best friend or my mom and be like, I wrote this song, you know, <laughs> it, it wasn't, it just wasn't, um, it was like a pipe dream for me. And well, it was a thing unto itself, the writing of the songs yeah, without thinking of playing them for someone else. Right. Yeah. It's always been an outlet for me and something that I could do to feel proud of myself and to feel kind of have my feelings all wrapped up into a little package. Right. So you make your way to college, right, which is maybe where you first started thinking about performing performing your songs for other people. 
Yeah, I went to school in Boone, North Carolina. It's a really small like mountain town outside of Asheville. Yeah, so that's Appalachian State? Yeah, Appalachian State. Yeah, I've spent some time in that area. It's lovely. Yeah, I loved my time there and yeah. made some of my best friends. Um, and it was the first like music scene I had ever been a part of. Growing up in Houston, there was no music scene for us to be a part of. There was the theater playhouse that that's like where all my creativity was kind of funneled into. So here I am in a new place with new friends and it's a tight knit community with a lot of really cool acts coming through. Um, not only touring bands, but also local bands. And it was just really inspiring. And yeah, I got a MacBook and decided to start recording on GarageBand and was really influenced at the time by um, Liz Fair and like early Liz Fair, Exile and Guyville. Dear Nora was another huge influence for me. He's an artist out of Seattle. Um, more like twee kind of indie folk stuff. Um, and Angel Olsen, who I actually got to see perform in Boone in like a coffee shop at the time. So <laughs> that was, those were three really big influences for me in college yeah. that propelled me to be like, I'm going to record my music. I'm going to learn how to do this and I'm going to put it on SoundCloud and I'm going to post it on Facebook and just have people listen to it. And I did that. It was my junior year, I think. Junior. Yeah. End of my junior year. And people responded to it and yeah. liked it. And it was really exciting and reassuring for me. And I got together with some friends of mine who played in bands and taught them my songs. We played a couple shows. And then I graduated and was just riding this high, basically, of feeling like I had finally found what I was meant to do or what I truly wanted to do. And... That's when I moved to Austin. I was like, yeah. hey, I already have these songs. I have like a whole album's worth of songs written. I'm going to move to Austin. going to try and find a band. And the rest is history. Do you feel that, that when you've started putting the songs out there in the world, your, the way you thought of yourself and the way you approached your songwriting changed now that other people were hearing them? Yeah, definitely. I think I started off just meandering I didn't really have a genre that I wanted to dive into I was yeah pulling from a lot of different genres which I think is something we still do as a band and that I still do as a songwriter and I I do like that approach because it keeps keeps things interesting but I have since then honed in more of a cohesive sound. Yeah. Um, when I first started, I was like, do I want to be a 
twee artist? Do I want to be grunge? Do I want to be like surf rock or I don't even know. I was, I was really just pulling out strings and seeing yeah. what landed. I'd like to, I'd like to follow this thread for a second if we can, because if we jump ahead to why Bonnie, the band and the previous music you put out, it was a bit of a different sound, right? I think I've read you describe it as, as dream pop, right? Mm -hmm. And now this current album is not like that. And I, I'd like to hear artists talk about the evolution of their sound. And you've, you've started on it with what you've just told me in terms of the decision-making process. Um, if you can call it that, where does this decision happen? Are the musical ideas organically leaning you in a different direction or is there a conscious decision to write music with different vibes? I guess a, a parallel question might be, could you come up with a song or a musical idea and decide to take it in the dream pop space or interpret it in this newer sound? Or are the ideas themselves bringing you to that sound? That's a long question. <laughs> you can take any part of it. If you're still listening, you can take it any way you want. Yeah. Um, I think my evolution as a songwriter has evolved in the way that I'm just more confident now than I was when I started. When I started, I would start with a melody, but not really have any idea of what I wanted the finished product to sound like or to feel like. And right. I, I would get lost in other people's ideas or not having the vocabulary for being in the studio and what I wanted sounds, things to sound like. Um, and not saying that I'm not proud of the music that we've previously put out. It's just, it has gotten a lot easier to um, actualize what I am feeling and thinking and want a song to sound like. Um, yeah, from the outset. From the outset, yeah. Yeah. Because I think when I started writing songs, it was more of like, the song is going to go where it goes and... I'm just along for the ride, whereas now I feel like I'm driving the car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think I read that the Lemonheads are an influence on some of what you do, right? Yeah, definitely. I grew up listening to them. Good. I'm, my kids did too. I'm showing my age here, but I'm a big fan of that band. Can you point to anything in particular that you draw from listening from them? Was it the band sound? Was it Evan Dando's writing? What do you think maybe as shows up a little bit in what you're doing from that band? Yeah, definitely both those things. The band sound being like a raw rock band um, with good melodies and good hooks. And that's yeah. no frills. That was really what I was looking for in this album in 90 November. And... But also on the other end of that, he has a really good way of sneaking in those heartfelt, like really stripped back songs. Um, and his songwriting is just so great. And yeah, seems effortless sometimes. Totally effortless. And his lyricism is always ambiguous enough, but 
still like evocative and I, I love yeah. that. Well, I'm going to give you a compliment. I think you pulled that part of it off with this record. I really, that, that's definitely a strength of this album. Thank you Just so the much. Evocative, evocative imagery, but still allows the listener to take it where he wants. You know, it's great. Thank you. Let's talk about your creative process um, more specifically. We got into it a little bit earlier, but do you have a common way the songs and these songs, song ideas are being generated? Do you try to commit to a daily practice or anything like that? No, I don't really, and I should um, know that that's <laughs> a good that practice a <laughs> to get into. Yeah, it's, I would say my creative process oscillates between, like, I have this big feeling that I just need to blurt out into a song, and I'll just, I'll feel it so intensely in my body that I have to sit down and write it out and put music to it. And it feels like I have just relieved myself of some kind of emotional burden. Um, yeah. Whether it be good or bad emotions, you know, both. But uh, mm -hmm. so sometimes it's that. And then sometimes the songs are like, a, it's more like patchwork style where I have been working on this riff or this chord progression, um, but don't have a verse or a chorus. And, but I have some lyrics written and I just kind of like piece those things together. And once I really start to focus more on that, then more ideas will come along. I wish I had more of a linear process, but it is pretty random. Yeah. So some of the songs are starting with a musical idea, musical riff, and some maybe are starting with a lyrical idea. Yeah. And sometimes I've had songs come to me of like, I think of one line of lyrics that will evoke some feeling or like a scene in my head that I want to elaborate on. Um, and it's always fun when a song starts that way. Or if I start with the music itself, I'll, you know, play the riff over and over and just kind of wait and meditate and see what what words are coming to mind. If you look back on the collection of songs you've written, can you put them into those categories? Oh, this one is the type of song that started with a riff or a musical idea and this other batch started with the more yeah. literal lyrical idea? Yeah, definitely. I can think back yeah. to every song on the album on 90 November and remember it's uh, it's Genesis. I, I mean, to piggyback on that, I think some of the more heartfelt, like slower love songs or something, those do tend to be more of the like, I am overwhelmed with this emotion that I need to get out onto the page. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about the patchwork um, way some of these are coming together. So are these songs coming over periods of time? Are you working on various pieces of different songs? Or are you to try and focus on one thing start to finish? No, there are usually multiples going at a time. It's pretty, it's chaotic, but. <laughs> and how do you decide that something is finished? I, I'm one of those people who like, 
I could change a song literally in the studio as we're about to record it. And yeah. I think it's, it's just done once it's, once I can't change it anymore. <laughs> and then <laughs> some, gone. yeah, once it's out of my hands and I can no longer change it. Um, <laughs> but there are some songs that you're just like, that come to you in, in a day and they're, they're done and you know it's done and it feels like wow that you can't take away or add to this it just is what it is um yeah and that's a really amazing feeling yeah but all right let's talk about some of these songs on this album 90 in november there are some clear themes in these songs you hit on it earlier memories processing memories home what that means is it important to you that a record has these connecting threads lyrically, or do you think it just happens anyway as the songs are written during a particular period of your life? I equally love and hate concept albums. It just yeah. depends on the album. Um, I think sometimes it can stunt the the reach of the album. And then sometimes it can make it so specific that it's like, and if it's done well, it's specific enough to like really take you through that journey, through the artist's journey. Um, right. I think with the writing of 90 in November, I didn't set out to write a concept album of like, this is going to be an album about my childhood growing up in Texas and the idea of home. It just, it turned into that. Yeah. And I, I guess I had written like four songs knowing that like, hopefully this will go on the next Y Bonnie record, but I'm just writing them right now. Um, I had all the time in the world cause it was 2020, early 2020. I was stuck yep. in my apartment and I think Galveston was one of the first songs I wrote and that's pretty cut and dry about like me. I was just kind of meditating on my times in Galveston, Texas growing up and all the feelings that those memories bring up. But then once I started moving on to the next songs, I, I started to realize that I was kind of making this space for myself in my very closed off claustrophobic apartment and situation that I was in at the time, I was creating this like imaginary space of being in Texas and I'm young again and it's sunny. And with that, you know, it's not just like sunshine and rainbows all the time. I, went through a lot growing up. Um, I lost my brother to drug addiction in 2016 when I was living in Austin. And I think that was a really formative experience in my life. And well, it happened at a time where I was just kind of becoming an adult. Yeah. And here I am five years later um, looking back on this time, not only the time of grieving him, but before that of being a kid and being a teenager and 
I just kind of started going down this rabbit hole of, it was like emotional meditation. Like I was going to let myself think of all the memories, good and bad, and just kind of make this space for myself to sit in. And it was really therapeutic. Yeah. Let's talk about some of these songs uh, in specific. I want to start with the opening track, Sailor Mouth. In fact, I want to start with the opening sounds of the opening track. I love the feedbacky guitar that starts it up, getting our attention right out of the gate. I think it's great. Uh, have you ever listened to the band Teenage Fan Club? No, I haven't. They, it's another one back, you know, before your time. Your mom probably knows them. They had an album, Bandwagon-esque. It's a great record. It starts out with a very similar sound, and it really reminded me of that. It's a great album. You should check it out. But cool. yeah. let's talk about this one. I get the impression that the sequencing of the songs was done very thoughtfully on this record. Is that correct? Yeah. I think we um, they weren't written in succession of one another, but once they all came together, it felt pretty clear what where they should go. Yeah. So can you talk about this song Sailor Mouth with that thought in mind about about its placement on the record? So Sailor Mouth, we felt would be a really good intro to the album because it sonically encapsulates the sounds on the album. We liked the idea of having the intro being this big, bold, really dense sound um, with the crash and the feedback from the guitars and kind of had this almost like whale sound going throughout. Um, There are actually a few guitars doing feedback in that intro, just kind of buried in. Okay. um, And then once that kind of buildup is over, it shrinks back into the like raw kind of country sound. Um, we really liked that dichotomy and feel like that's representative of what you are going to hear on the album. So that was pretty much how the choice was made.
to talk about the song Lot's Wife. This is a real favorite for me on the record. The last section of the song is just a wonderful, full band, organized freakout kind mm-hmm. of thing. It's so great. Thank you. I also love a good biblical metaphor. And this song comes near the end of the record, but the story you reference in the title of Lot's Wife is really fitting for these album themes of memory, looking back, the dangers of how we reminisce or live in the past. Um, did you have this idea of the Lot's Wife kind of allegory when you wrote the song, or, or how did this one come together from the beginning? I did have the the allegory in mind. I always loved the imagery of a woman turning back and turning into a pillar of salt. Um, yeah. And I think it is very, you know, representative of how it feels to look back sometimes on your life, on those harder memories, whether it be a lost love or a mistake or any kind of regret that you carry. Um, it does, it feels like that. And I just thought it was such a poetic story in the Old Testament. I love a good allegorical reference. in the song about the second was the second coming going the other way that's a good one do you Thank sometimes you. write down uh do you sometimes write down good lines like as notes and hope to use them in some future song that kind of thing yeah i definitely have an ongoing note on my on my phone <laughs> yeah okay important question did i read that your dad painted the cover art on this record Yes, he did. And I'm looking at it right now. It's hanging up in my bedroom here. I think that's so great. Is he an artist? He is an amateur artist. I mean, I guess he is. He, yeah. yeah. He um he doesn't paint as a living, but he's painted my whole life. Um it's actually something a hobby he picked up later in life. I guess he was like in his early 30s when he picked it up. And Mm -hmm. this particular painting has, he painted in 97 and has just been in the background of all of my childhood memories. So, oh wow! and it was all, it's always been my favorite one of his. So when thinking of album art, this just felt right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was struck by this story. We have a daughter who's in a band putting out records, and her mom has taken up painting as an adult. 
I'm just putting it out there that you are endorsing <laughs> that it is cool to have your parents provide cover art. It right? is Can we put that cool. out there? Yes. And she should absolutely <laughs> do it. Yes. Now, step two will be get my daughter to actually listen to my podcast. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> hey, she sounds like she has two cool parents. So, <laughs> Well, I'm in agreement with you there. All right. I want to talk about the song uh, 90 in November, the title track. This is the one that led me to discover your music. I think it's probably true for a lot of other people. What a really well put together song, start to finish. I really get the sense of like forward movement in the arrangement and the production of this song. Starts off with that great drum shuffle, which puts me in the mind of some of the great uh, pavement songs, the way they kind of propel you through the song with the drums. And then the song builds, the guitar lines come in, and then that awesome, simple piano hook in there. I'm really curious about how this song came together, these different elements. Was there that sense of movement in the song when you first wrote it, or did these things come together in the studio? Yeah, so I wrote this on guitar, just me and the acoustic guitar, and the chord progression really reminded me of a Cheryl Crow song, just that vibe mm. and feeling and cadence. And like I mentioned earlier, Cheryl Crow is such a nostalgic artist for me. Uh, she, her music is warm and and cozy, but like fun. And I wanted to write a song with all of that in it. And by this point, I had written most of the album. So I knew what the album was going to be about or what most of the themes were coming to. Um, this was a song that was written much later in the process. Okay. And I wanted, once I got the chord progression down and had these feelings, I really focused on having the song be about that feeling of being young and being so excited and so scared about the future and yeah. how it just feels like that that young person like I don't give a shit attitude but in, deep down inside I'm like freaked the hell out <laughs> <laughs> um which was definitely me as a teenager so I was hearkening back to that and um and then once we started adding everyone's parts um josh's drum shuffle is just such a like like you said driving beat to it yeah and this is definitely a song that you want to just roll the windows down and blast in the car and just try and like have a good time while everything is burning around you kind of deal. <laughs> yeah. Be young and dumb and, and have fun. And that's, that's what the whole vibe of the song is about.
These songs, all of them, a lot of them, anyway, make great use of dynamics, the loud and the quiet, tempo changes, stops and starts. Yet I felt like the record takes me on a smooth ride. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, first off, thank you. We, yeah. we, as a band, just like to highlight everybody's personal talents. And I think our rhythm section Josh and Chance are so locked in. They've been playing music together as the rhythm section for years, longer than Why Bonnie. Um, okay. And so any chance that we get to let them do their thing and to like take the lead on that and fill up the space with their playing, um, we try to take that opportunity. And then on the other hand, Kendall and Sam... Kendall being the key player, Sam being lead guitarist, they both have their unique styles. And I think in the past, we have had a harder time trying to figure out how to let both of their parts shine. And it's something we really wanted to focus on in this record to not overdo it and to let each part sit back and then the other part will come in. And I think we really did a good job um, with that. Yeah. The keys on 90 November and then that, that organ on, on Galveston, that really is holds that song together so well. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah. We're proud of that one. Yeah. I want to talk about one more song if we can, the song Apple tree, right? The recent single release, I understand was recorded in the same session as the record, but wasn't on the album. Right, it's it. It seems to have more of that kind of country Americana flavor than than the record kind of the record kind of heads for that, but doesn't go all the way. And this maybe seems to go further in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, is that maybe why you chose to release it as a single? Or, or it's a great song. Again, we have a biblical reference here. So, what can you tell us about this? We loved this song and still love this song. I think, like you said, it's definitely pushing the Americana card. Um, and that's not why we decided to keep it off the record. I think the final choice was that it was too similar in vibe and tempo to Silsby, I believe. Okay. And we wanted to let Silsby really shine on the album and let it be its own little space, hold its own space. Yeah. Um, so we decided to leave it off and... Once it was time to release Apple Tree as its standalone, as a standalone single, we felt like it had space to breathe and be its own thing, which is what the song probably always wanted. One more important question for you before I can let you go, Blair. Are you ready? Yeah. I was looking at your Bandcamp page 
I saw the term shoegazicana. Do you have Do you have anything to say about this? <laughs> what do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> Um, (laughs) we did not coin that term. We had another outlet and I'm going to completely forget which outlet it was. Um, I'll try and find it, but they coined that term or maybe it was already coined and then they used it for us and it was like bells went off i was like that's what i was going for thank you thank you Um, it's great it's a great it's a great term yeah all right i'm gonna ask you one more big picture question yeah is there when you look back on your creative journey and look ahead is there maybe something you are either focusing on in terms of your creative life that you're trying to get better at that you're working on or or is there maybe something you think you've gotten better at over time I definitely want to get better being a at being a multi-instrumentalist because right now I've mm. definitely pigeonholed myself into vocalist guitarist. Um, so I want to open the door to all those different instruments, um, yeah. which is exciting because I have my whole life to play around with those. Yes, you do. You could take up painting in your 30s if you wanted to. Exactly. You can do anything you want to do. (laughs) What Um, would be your next instrument? Well, I feel like the most challenging one would be drums for me just because it's so out of my wheelhouse. But I really should learn it because I'm awful, god awful at playing the drums. So I guess that's next on the list. All right. Check back in on that. So you guys are going to be uh, getting out there on the road, playing these songs, getting out to do some touring? Yeah, we're going to be going on tour with Christian Lee Hudson and Finn Lilly in June. And that tour starts in Boston and ends in L.A. So we're kind of doing the whole southern part of the country. Uh, Going to be playing a lot of 90 November songs and possibly some brand new songs we're back in the studio and making our next album so might hear some new songs on the road as well excellent we all look forward to that thanks so much Blair for taking the time with us today I've really enjoyed this conversation thanks Mike thanks for having me 